before we start anything else like remotely to do with the podcast, Piers, stop trying to make Wokies happen. It's not going it's to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> what is Wokies? It's not a word that anyone uses. Nobody's Welcome into to it. Booze this week. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to uh, what will be an hour of pure rage. (laughs) Hello, bookworms. Welcome to Bookmarks and Booze, where we believe if you're going to slag off a book, do it accurately. Join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews. Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and sports. Okay, well, this week we have read the autobiography of Piers Morgan, who is a prevalent TV personality and journalist. The book is called Wake Up. This is as good as I can do for keeping it in. I'm sorry. I can't do any more than this. This isn't my capacity. Do you know what, though? This is going to be a fucking ride because I will say this now, and I really hope I don't lose friends over this, namely you two and other friends. I didn't disagree with everything he said. No. Me too. Didn't disagree with it all. I was like, okay. But then he he takes something that's a legitimate point and then he takes it to another level of idiocy. Like he he goes, okay, well, this is this is this thing. So, you know, cancel culture is bad. And then he'll say, and it's perpetuated entirely by millennials who all think this. And I'm like, no. I totally agree with you. There were parts where I was like, oh, shit, am I agreeing with Piers Morgan? Because when you made us read this, your fault, Christina, I was moaning away to Chris saying that I really didn't want to read this book. And I will say that I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to hate it. I wouldn't go as far as to say that I enjoyed it. But there were points where I was like, eh. And on my notes here, I've got I've divided my notes into three columns. I've got agree with, disagree with. Can I just that that's very organized. That's it. On my notes, I have got agree with, <laughs> disagree with, and hypocrisy is the third column. Mm. I was gonna here. say, I actually think it's a fantastic book because um Piers Morgan is projecting everything he hates about himself onto the public. And um <laughs> for me, the level of hypocrisy in that was very transparent and I enjoyed that side of it immensely. It's like he called vegans purple-haired, nose-ringed, etc., etc., rather than actually putting forward an impartial counter-argument like he's suggesting is the whole problem with society today in free speech. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... And it, it's very hard to take what he's saying seriously when his entire career has been built up, stoking up this negative and really polarizing opinion online and being very outrageous. And he's openly like, I'm like a dog with a bone. I just can't stop arguing with people. And I just love the argument. And I'm like, and then you, within the next breath, with no sense of irony, are saying that people need to stop arguing on Twitter. This whole book is basically just a rehash of his favorite tweets that he wrote over the last year. It's like he's taken this really... the Daily Mail. Yeah, like his own <laughs> articles. It's, it, the whole book, for me, if I had to summarize the book, it's a retelling of all the key moments from the last horrific year that's affected so many people globally through the lens of Piers Morgan's own narcissism. Deep, yeah. deep narcissism. Lord help us. It is like every single <laughs> part of the pandemic he somehow either takes credit for yeah. or relates back to himself. That is absolutely something that I've got written down here. There were points in the book where I was like, oh, you know what? I don't agree with a lot of this guy's views, but he's a human being. He's really humanizing himself for me. He's talking about his relationship with his children. You know, it, it must, be, must be hard, <laughs> even though I do think a lot of it has brought on himself. <laughs> it must be hard to be in a public eye and viewed so negatively. No, no, no. And then he just started bigging himself up so much about all of the wonderful things that he's achieved throughout this pandemic. And and he really always found a way to circle it back on to how peers saved the day. And it became yeah. very grating very quickly. I just can't take a man seriously that bangs on so hard about a salad emoji. Like, oh, I'm oh just... I've got notes on that. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you can't profess to be this great, impactful journalist deserving of a Pulitzer. And then all of a sudden you've spent a whole chapter and a half banging on about a vegan sausage roll. Like, yeah. I- can, can we talk about why it's like in the subject of things peers <laughs> randomly hates and the veganism thing, hilarious. He fucking hates veganism he hates fake meat so much i would actually love to take this opportunity to answer some of the very valid questions that piers posed in his uh in his autobiography he he asks why are my carnivore rights less important than vegan rights um okay so to start you're not a carnivore you're an omnivore unless you are literally a carnivore in which case you probably have quite severe scurvy I think the reason that a lot of vegans are quite vocal about what they're trying to do is that they feel that the more people that go vegan, the supply and demand of the meat industry will change. And ergo, there is a direct correlation between more people going vegan and less meat consumption, which is our end goal. I hope I cleared that up quite consistently for you, Piers. Um, The second thing that he asks is uh, if vegans hate meat so much, then why do they want to eat vegan meat? Um, this is a question that I don't know about you, Christina, but I get asked a lot and uh, mm-hmm. saw a very clever little answer for that, which was, uh, why do we play video games where we can go out and murder people when we could just walk out in the street and do it for real? Because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, when because... you put it like that... <laughs> There is sausages of every single kind of meat known to man. And you describe the content, right? So you say you have a pork sausage, you have a chicken sausage, you have a meat-free sausage. It's the same... I don't understand why he's confused unless he I, really I think isn't he must that be, intelligent. I think it's, it's one of two things. He's either fundamentally missing the point of why people choose to adopt this lifestyle. I think that's probably it. Or he's innately quite guilty about his meat consumption and, and doesn't want to admit that he's guilty about it. And so he projects. I think I it's mean, pro- he called a vegan sausage roll abhorrent. He abhorrent. called it abhorrent. And yet Which he's I been friends with Donald most, Trump for 13 years. Um, it's the most dramatic <laughs> thing I've ever... He talked about that salad emoji. He, he, he basically... There's a part in the book where he talks about um, how the egg was taken off the salad emoji and um, it was like made into this really big thing on Twitter and they were like, welcomed it into the world and said it was more inclusive and everything. He talks about it for 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. And straight minutes. I know. And he claims to not mind, and and I'm going to air quote this, non-militant vegans, but then proceeded to call us within the same several paragraphs, kale munchers, annoying, and bangs on about us eating tasteless plants. And then in the later chapters, he says that we shouldn't be promoting obesity and that it's an epidemic across the world and in this country. And then he's saying like vegans are, yeah. And he does this a lot in the book. He says... The world's blank came after me. So he says here, the world's vegans then came after me. And it really is just a testament to his narcissism that he genuinely believes that the handful of militant vegans on Twitter represent the entire of the vegan community, that everyone's come together and we've gone, right, you know what? I know we've got a lot of issues worldwide. We're thinking about climate change. We're thinking about factory farming and all these big things. But let's every single one of us get together on our weekly vegan meetups that the world's vegan have and and decide what we're going to do about Piers Morgan. Like, how could you be that narcissistic? Well, he also kicks off about this salad emoji. He says... um, I have a cucumber allergy. So why can cucumbers not be removed? Why why are the eggs removed when they're healthy and nutritious? And, you know, I have a cucumber allergy. Well, I mean, an, an allergy is not the same as a lifestyle choice, but that's a whole other thing. It literally is the difference between, like, you, all people can now use that emoji. It, it's just, uh, sorry, I'm just... Uh, yeah, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, so I think I'm going <laughs> to... Sorry, my my nose is bleeding. I just need to... I would Wait, there's just... blood pouring out of my eyes. Bear with me, girls. Just... Okay, that's fine. Yeah, just try and try and breathe through it. Okay, so I would like to address the Trump issue. Okay, 
because that to me is one of the most glorious examples of both the narcissistic side of him and the hypocrisy because he claims to be great friends with Trump, been friends with him 13 years, as is him and Nigel Farage. Pass me a bucket, please. <laughs> he says almost in the, the same few paragraphs that he stayed in touch with him no matter what. He basically had alienated so many of the UK's press because he attacked some members of the BBC openly in a press conference during his presidential campaign and then was one of the only people, if the only broadcast the UK got from Donald Trump directly. So he stayed friends with him, literally to monetarily profit off of him, and then has proceeded to slag him off online ever since. That is literally a display that he's given us of how Piers Morgan treats his friends. It's literally all about him and what he can gain out of people. And then on top of that, he then proceeds to give it as an example of how he can have people with difference of opinions and he can still like him as a person despite the horrendous things that he's done but then and that doesn't bother him but then actually the way he's running the country that does bother him and they can somehow still be friends but I just don't it's got more contradictions than the bible like I'm sorry like I just don't understand any of it his friendliness towards certain celebrities actually steers me really nicely into one of the notes I've got in the hypocrisy section. He staunchly defended Caroline Flack, stating that she was clearly crying out for help with her mental health and then swiftly went on to attack Carl Walker for blaming his mental health on COVID violations and said his problems weren't important because he's rich and it was VE day. So that's that's not really sure how those two mesh. I found the dialogue on um, Caroline Flack really, really interesting. It kind of sums up something that I've had experience with. with, I'm not going to do a Piers Morgan and say all right-wing people do this. I've had experience with people who are inclined to more right-wing beliefs. And they tend to be people around me who, unless something slaps them in the face like a wet fish, they don't give a fuck about it and they don't understand it. So they'll be like, oh, I never understood what feminism was or I never learned to respect women until I had a daughter and I feel like it's the same with Piers Morgan and Caroline Flack I think usually if Caroline Flack was removed from him and he didn't have contact with her he would have probably looked on her story and been like well she had obviously had a lot of problems but be in line with his other views like when he says the younger generations have the best situation that they could ever have had they have the most security and the most health and yet they're riddled with this anxiety and it's because they've been given too much and they get too many participation trophies and they should suck it up yeah like that and yet when he talks about Caroline Flack he's like oh well the media it's really sad how she was portrayed people were so mean to her and everything and I'm like well you know your other views would surely be like she signed up for that life you'd surely be like well you know she profited off that lifestyle like it just didn't seem to align with his other views because he personally knew her this time. So he was like, oh, well, I feel sorry for her because of that. And I feel empathy towards her. My favorite hot take on why young people now have anxiety and depression is because we're all on drugs. I know. Oh, my God. Well, it's oh, we're probably all because drugs. they all take drugs. Cool. OK, cool. Thanks. Are you sure it's not because now mental health is more of a sort of accepted thing to own up to? And it's easier to say when you need help because there's now more resources in the NHS than there was in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And it was sort of a stigmatized thing. And also we can't buy a house. Just put in some some alternative yeah. points up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I would also just like to point out that since debate is healthy and as long as we're having a reasoned level argument and I'm clearly not raising my voice here, so that's what I'm doing. I'm having an open debate, Piers, is that we're just actually going to the doctors and reaching out for help now, whereas there is a significant number of people who we literally know. Like I know, for example, and um, my grandma wouldn't mind me saying anyway, um, <laughs> but her dad came back from World War One and was undiagnosed but had post-traumatic stress disorder but never sought help, never got medication and therefore was being managed essentially by his wife. I think it's all relative. It's just basically now we reach out more. My nana yeah. absolutely loves to say there was none of this anxiety and depression in the war. There um, was. There was a hell of a lot of it, <laughs> Joan Ham. <laughs> I don't know about you. I think like he has his right to express his opinion freely, right? Technically, mm. whatever. Everybody does. But that doesn't mean that his opinion is moral or right and that mm. it's not going to incite response him pretending or genuinely reacting so viscerally to alternative 
responses is kind of laughable that if he wouldn't expect that to be the case. He also talks yeah. about freedom of the press, but he is not the press. He no, is, he's not. He is a journalist. I'm, <laughs> sorry, I just gagged. But... <laughs> And so he has his opinion, which he expresses all over his rags and all over his books and all over his TV shows. The actual structure of the book and the content isn't intelligent. I was bored. It's literally just like a diary. And at the beginning when he's like, oh, I wanted this to be essays about various forms of woke culture. I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be like tackling topics on work culture, but it's literally just a sort of freeform timeline of, of the pandemic, how the pandemic unfolded. But from this, like his worldview, which I found very simplified, childish, it was very narcissistic. It always pointed back to how great Piers is and how Piers it relates knew it was to going Piers. to be bad, Emma. No one oh, else well, that, knew. That but as he well knew. is pretending so many times to have guessed what is going to happen in the future. He called does it. it over and over again. Called it. I called this. <laughs> I wonder if the Queen will throw Harry out of the family. I wonder this COVID stuff oh, Meghan sounds Markle like it's going whole... to be bad. Aren't I clever? Aren't I, I clever? Yeah. I guessed all of that. <laughs> that was the tone. And yet you're not clever enough to structure an entire novel, Pierce. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you're not, you're not clever enough to proofread your own book and think, oh, I might have contradicted myself a bit there. Like, oh, and I he, might have, when I talk about Caroline Flack and then at the end of the book to say that an actress who comes out saying, oh, I suffer from hypochondria is insensitive during the pandemic. Oh, so you can't have hypochondria during a pandemic. Sid, you're cured. <laughs> it's not allowed during the pandemic. <laughs> you also you, you also can't have feelings on VE Day because people died, Emma. No, no, yeah, you can't no. have feelings then. Yeah, you no, you have then. to repress them because that's worked for so many people and works for so many men. Um, Absolutely. And don't forget, none of us none of us know how bad it was during the war and we're all selfish and we're getting We've had nothing to stress trophies. about what, whatsoever. But Piers does understand because he was actually in the war himself. <laughs> oh, no way. He was way. actually a part of that generation who fought in the war. Wait, wait, what? He yeah. didn't fight in the war? Yeah, no, Emma, no. did you not know? He was on the front lines. Like... Surely he can't be taking credit for the entire war. He was actually... Actually, the uh, the first English soldier to kick that football on Christmas Day to the, yeah. to the Germans. He was. He, uh, he put out an olive branch of peace on that day. Yeah, and <laughs> you know he's what? so clever. Do you remember in Dunkirk when uh, Tom Hardy flies that plane onto the beach? That was well, actually Piers Morgan. Morgan. I heard that was based on him. Yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> he's actually immortal. The God complex has got so big. Have you guys heard of that? He's been alive for a thousand years. A small, lesser-known figure called Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was actually Piers Morgan. That was Piers Morgan. You know the diary that they found of Anne Frank? <laughs> you know Schindler's List? That was actually Piers Morgan. It's actually Piers Morgan with the rifle. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've done so well to not do my ugly laugh. All of the comments on this podcast are going to be like that guy's got the worst fucking laugh. This is apparently in all of them. He has several other books, apparently. It's Does all, he? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. And it's all in this diary format, which I just don't like. I just think it's sort of like you say, it's a juvenile, wishy washy sort of way to structure a book. <laughs> Um, much like not- the rest of Piers's <laughs> content. But um, I would love, if you would please let me, I've been itching to do this, but I, I'd love to open the Meghan Markle topic. Mm. Oh, I can't wait for this one. Because <laughs> I feel like we've all been out with the equivalent of a Piers Morgan in terms of that like bratty response when you don't end up liking someone as much as they like you. To the point that he admitted in his own book that his sons, his children were literally like, can you just drop it? He was like, she came to my local pub and then she didn't want to talk to me. It's like, just because she's gone out of her way when she's settling in a new country, you know, because you're the big person in fucking media, peers, obviously. He somehow thought from that, that that meant that they were like best mates and, you know, maybe more. It just made me really angry, the assumption he rails against this polarised worldview and not having any nuance. 
And it seemed like there were certain people like Meghan Markle who Piers just hates through and through. Yeah. No redeeming. Like he tries to say a bit like, oh, she said something nice about BLM in like the last bit of the book. It's so obvious he's just trying to do it so that people can't say he just slates her for the whole book. So many parallels I found from the Laura Bates Men Who Hate Women book. His language about women and about Meghan Markle really, really made me think about loads of examples that she raises in that book, which is one we reviewed in one of the earlier episodes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. She talks about the language that men will use about women that relate to the manosphere and incel ideology and very far right wing misogynistic views. They use a lot of language like, you know, even when he talks about like the purple hair, Trump loathing, lunatic women and feminazis and all of this and how you know there are cases when women lie about rape as soon as you said that i was like cool okay this is straight out the manosphere yeah it's that grouping and dehumanizing kind of just putting everyone into this like subcategory like men are individuals women are, are always talked about in groups they're never given an individual face like Meghan markle well she's part of this fake woke money grabbing uh, you know celebrity culture and all of this it's the whole thing was just so bitter so yeah he banged on about like women objectifying men and like even if even if okay the implied physical threat was the same which it isn't and we know that it doesn't justify him objectifying women the fact he discussed like the whole thing with the n-word and you know that actually it was really abrasive language he piped so much on that about the use of negative language and how important it is and i thought that that was a really interesting thing for him to admit and to say given the tone of the language used throughout his book calling woke people the new fascists and saying that it was all political correctness police and are they screaming tirade and i thought you know exactly what you're doing you are creating that diversion between people despite the fact saying that you want everyone to have a level-headed debate so it's all a load of bollocks i wouldn't use the same language he's using and i obviously don't agree with the majority of his points but this one it was one that i put in the agree column that i do think that as the left especially the far left Mm. it can be very very hard i think to how do i explain this virtue signaling is definitely a thing and I think it can mm. scare people away from otherwise looking into an alternative way of thinking. And I do think that a lot of people online do latch on to the wrong things to get upset about. I genuinely do believe that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that the media is obviously going to focus in on those more niche, more extreme views. They focus in on if you don't necessarily agree with every single one of these opinions, then you're a piece of shit and you're cancelled. Yeah, um, which I do agree with. I think wrong. I think um, cancel mm-hmm. culture is a thing. And if you spend any time online at all, you will definitely run into these things. I think this book does the same thing for pretty much every one of these topics where he's learned these terms like virtue signaling and you know straw manning and all these things that he brings up. And he's just really kind of pushed them. Yeah, aid his point. I'm I'm a firm believer that extreme views either direction are not the answer. Like, because then they're black and white and there's no grey area and then there's no discussion topics. When you actually look at extremist views, they do tend to go around in a loop and and meet at the top and it ends up being sort of then you're in a dictatorship. Far left, you've gone right. Exactly. And so I think that it's ironic because he's talking about the extreme left. But I think that the extreme left and the extreme right are both not really the way that we're ever going to come to some kind of conclusion. (laughs) I think the difference there is, and this is just my opinion, I think the difference is, as a society... We are sort of universally agreed, especially if we're talking about portrayal in the media, that being very, very right wing to the point where you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic is, a, is bad. And yeah. you know, we're, we're all in agreement on that. Yeah. Whereas I think if you go extreme, extreme, extreme left, I think you do find that there's more sympathy towards that mindset. And I do think that especially young people, you know, teenage people seem to be leaning more to these kind of ideas of segregating race I've seen and things like that and you know I can understand the basic principle of of perhaps black only safe spaces but I think you're going into dangerous territory there where you start talking about segregating race again and I know this might be an unpopular opinion but I think it's given a lot more it's listened to a lot more than 
say a racist bigot i agree with what you're saying and i actually agree with the some of the points that he makes that i found it sometimes it's very easy as someone who's left wing the dialogue around people who are right wing is that you just put them in the bin and you're yeah. like oh, fuck that person the thing that's always grated me about piers morgan is that he puts his point of view forward using other people yes. and to me that's not journalism that is you know tabloids and that's what he does and I get that but that's why I'm not interested in listening to his content not because I'm not interested in discussing the topics it's because I don't believe they're true discussions of the topic I believe he's using it as a platform for himself true discussion of the topic would need a level head from both sides exactly right and he talks about straw manning but that's something he does an awful lot in this book he loves to equate an entire group of people to one screaming banshee He seems to blame this kind of arbitrary young generation of people. Sometimes he says millennials. Sometimes he just says younger generation. Students to use as well. Students. And he takes that and he really starts to kind of rubber stamp all of these opinions that we supposedly collectively have. So the most ridiculous examples when he talked about the one stupid group of people in America who were having a COVID party to see who could catch COVID the quickest. And he said, this is what's the problem with this generation. And I was like, that's not me. Like I didn't host a COVID party. And then he says things like, oh, everyone of the younger generation doesn't care about older people dying of COVID and they're willing to write off older people. Like one minute they want older people to get on board and be team players and believe gay people are okay. And I'm like, well, that's just not being an an asshole, but okay. And um, (laughs) again, type of like an entire older generation of people don't believe in gay people. It's just ridiculous. And then, then, you know, at the same time, they want all the old people to die of COVID so that they can go, you know, surfing again or whatever. (laughs) I think he thinks that young people do. I'll tell you what, dudes, I cannot wait till we can hit the waves again when all these oldies are gone. I cannot wait. (laughs) I have got my bug lights on ice. (laughs) (laughs) I am so ready to catch a wave. I'm here to kill some old people and catch some waves and I'm all out of old people. (laughs) Yeah, and you know... You know, it's the same that he assumes that like none of us are going to actually turn around and agree with certain points. And it's why I'm glad we've mentioned that, because I also have a very controversial one, which I'm probably going to get killed for. I wonder if it's the same as mine. I've got one as well. I do not believe that James Bond should have been a woman. I think James Bond should be a man. And I will tell you exactly why. I have no issue with a non-binary person being James Bond or anything like that. But James Bond is a beloved Ian Fleming character. And I know that because I am writing a book of my own, my characters personally mean a lot to me. And I've written it that way for a reason. So I think if they're doing new movies, they're making out of something different. And it's not an original Ian Fleming, have whoever you want. But I think for the original Ian Flemings, because they are beloved books, they should have a male character because it's an innately masculine energy character. So you could have a non-binary person, in my opinion, rather than a woman. And why not include that energy into the films I don't well, think that's controversial is it is it not I don't, I, sure apparently it is you're supposed to be super supportive but surely I, less people want a female James but I, I just I just want not to be attacked in the streets and equal pay this is exactly the tactic Laura Bates says that this whole right-wing culture uses they say masculinity is being attacked and they pick out these stupid instances where a group of dumb people on Twitter, and I think this is why Piers Morgan thinks that a majority of people have these views because he lives his life on Twitter and doesn't actually meet real people. The fact that he would think that a majority of feminists want to cancel James Bond and that's like top of our agenda, it's like they bury the legitimate feminist issues. I'm sick of hearing about the fucking Gillette ad as well. That was a great one because Gillette were actually the company that introduced female shaving. That's actually really? that's actually a thing. So in the 70s and 80s, obviously, as we know, we were letting it loose. Nobody was shaving. And then Gillette's sales were down. There was something that triggered their marketing campaign to go, we need to expand who we are marketing to. And then they started doing the women shaving their legs ads. That was what made them the most successful <laughs> shaving company. I never knew is that. because they taught us that we need to shave our legs and we need to shave our everything don't else. Forget, don't forget, it has to be um, shaving, already shaven legs, like in the ads. Can't yeah. be actual hair. Yeah, they don't want to actually... Venus. 
I'm your fire. Yeah, that I have whole no time thing. for Gillette. They're a piece of shit. They're one of the first companies to pioneer testing cosmetics on chimpanzees. I don't. I don't yeah, so they are, you know, and so I find it ironic that he's so protective of the masculinity of Gillette when the reason they're so successful is because of women. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, I do think we need to be able to talk about it without being shouted down. I think we all know that regardless of what anyone has to say, we're all very loving, very open-minded, very kind people. But this is what we're talking about, where if you identify as a lefty and then you say something that maybe doesn't fit that perfect, very far left cookie cutter, you will. there's a good chance you'll get absolutely ripped apart. And it's a shame mm. because there doesn't seem to be that same vitriol in the right. It seems to be... If you're a bit right, they're quite eager to welcome you in, maybe because their numbers are dwindling. I don't know. I'm just guessing. (laughs) (laughs) I found it with family members, you know, like my grandma, I adore, she's not going to listen to this ever. I'll never let her know about this. (laughs) But I'm very close to my grandma. We have a very, very special close relationship where we've always just got on like a house on fire. But she is very right wing. She didn't believe that gay people were a thing till she was like 30. She just didn't. Did she think they were like mythical creatures? I think she just thought it was like (laughs) not maybe some sort of ancient, like she knows a lot about ancient (laughs) history. So she must have known that the Greeks were fucking and sucking, you know? (laughs) but she yeah like the red light yeah. but i think she just genuinely thought it was some sort of sickness or it just it was, was so like Jesus. i never think the issues are the headbutting tends to come so hard unless it's sort of specific issues like this where you have discussions with your grandparents it's never between like the grandparent generation and the grandchild generation it's usually between you know the parents and the kids right i mean for me and my grandma we just have such differing views but when we talk there's a real respect we gently talk through the issues and we gently present different points and even when she comes out with something that's super right wing I try so hard not to be outraged and to do that how could you fucking think that you know how could you think that immigrants (laughs) are coming to take over like I really wish I had that relationship with my nan because she's just like (laughs) yo silly bitch I'm like yo silly cow (laughs) we know but you and you and Joan are a special exception (laughs) oh shut up you old tea bag yeah, <laughs> I love it I had I the best how you and your nan are very uh, like adultly gently over tea speaking to people like flashed to me and my nan were probably guzzling booze like, me and my nan I was gonna say screaming at each other me and my nan on Wednesday night I used to go over every Wednesday to see my grandma and make her dinner and we would just drink an obscene amount of wine and it we would always end up debating about sort of bigger topics and stuff like this Um, But I was very lucky that my nana was very open minded Mm -hmm. and she was sort of very much a businesswoman. She was very much pro gay rights, very much a pioneer. And we did have disagreements about relationship dynamics and things like that. You know, I do think that when you're coming from a place of love, whether it's in violent format or (laughs) yelling or if it's gentle debate or whether it's sort of sarcasm, because it's coming from a place of love on both sides, you can have those conversations. Like That's the thing. I don't yeah. I think it's it's so hard hearing it coming from Piers Morgan because he's such a he, hate filled He is and he reverts hose. to like name calling. <laughs> you know, he like comes up with these childish phrases and names and, and I'm like, that's not actually respectful debate. Reverting back to the Gillette thing, I think that the fact that Piers literally said that he believes he's like such a manly man because he like eats steak, it's so adorable when all he does is bitch about being ghosted about people that are mean to him. <laughs> I'm a manly man because I have high cholesterol. No, I actually <laughs> have. Um, well, that that takes me wonderfully back to the hypocrisy section of my notes. He put, um, <laughs> the woke brigade are very sensitive. And, oh, Piers! Uh, it's it's no good whining about Brexit. And during the Black Lives Matter protest, he said every single life is equal and important. And then he then goes on a multiple chapter long tirade about vegan sausage rolls. So do yeah. with that what you will. <laughs> he, he also says he was very surprised that people were getting so upset over something as trivial as a coin. Yeah. And yeah. follows that up by talking about the salad emoji for about 25 minutes. <laughs> I literally wrote in this sentence, does Piers Morgan not know that you can cry and seduce women and that the two aren't mutually exclusive? <laughs> like he's, it's, it's, it's all women Tears, want all the, the other lubricant. 
he gets so upset and hurt about the Gillette advert and that it's infringing on his masculinity and his steak eating and his James Bond. Then he says, you just lost your best customer, Gillette, or whatever. And I'm like, no one like Gillette really are going to give a fuck about you no longer being able to shave your nutsack. No one cares. <laughs> they don't care. They're too busy, like, DMing Lewis Hamilton, like, please. Exactly. It's so trivial. <laughs> like, the Gillette ad. Oh, It's like the absolute definition of sweating the small stuff. Like, he rails about the most insignificant things. And it just delegitimizes everything else he says that is actually quite... Absolutely. You know, and he does admit himself, doesn't he? He said, I probably was bored when I kicked off about vegan sausage rolls and papooses. And, you know, now I've actually got something to give a fuck about. And he does sort of admit that, which is one of those very rare human moments in the book. I enjoyed those moments because I think it it did humanise him a bit more. And I have an appreciation for people that can admit when they're wrong. Accountability is great. And I think that, you know what, he's accountable for so little (laughs) that when he makes an odd concession, I'm just like, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, I mean, in the agree section, he kind of goes off about how celebrities were very tone deaf throughout the pandemic and how they were sort of tucked away in their mansions and didn't really get how everything was going and then I was like yeah that's really true you know I did find it a little bit uncomfortable when people were posting from their pools and stuff but then he does go on to mention that he lives in Mayfair (laughs) he has a five-bedroom townhouse in Mayfair I looked this up because of this I was so annoyed he has a five-bedroom townhouse in Mayfair he then has a house in Sussex and a house in LA Mm. like just come on Perhaps, but then there we go perhaps where he's calling out these celebrities saying you know they were all very comfortable in lockdown maybe just a little note there myself included would have made the world a difference he talks about immigrants and how important they are for this country and how such a high percentage of our nhs relies on immigrant workers and it's all so true and it's stuff i fundamentally agree with yeah and then he talks about how wonderful he is to his housekeeper and how he reached out to all of the women that she knows that are nurses and i'm like did you really need to highlight your involvement in always, this? Could always. You not have just, yeah, it does always seem to circle back round to peers, doesn't it? The one yeah. thing can I also just say that completely left a field here that made me feel like so cringed out was just his absolute knob sucking of Ricky Gervais. Like he's obsessed <gasps> with him. Literally, oh God. the quote, balls of glistening steel. Oh. <laughs> and you know what? He It was the it was laziest thing for me. It was the so fucking lazy, that chapter. He just spent the whole chapter paraphrasing someone far more intelligent and funny than him and saying yeah. like, I found this bit of his speech funny I found that bit I was like, Did you, that's not material <laughs> for you, but that's mate. basically plagiarism for this entire chapter of your book also like, I'm sure Ricky Gervais is absolutely thrilled that he's oh got a number God, one yeah. fan in Piers Morgan mm. <laughs> yeah he literally is talking about the actress that suffers from hypochondria and is like she should be sensitive to the pandemic and she's been wrapped in cotton wool and she has no right to feel this way and everything and two seconds later he's like really shocked that people were criticizing him for posting about getting his aston martin washed hand washed during the pandemic and he's like i just can't believe people got so funny about it i just don't know why he was supporting a small business All the money trickles down. Like. Yeah, he was bigging up the nice men that asked him to post on his Instagram. Have a little exactly. heart, Emma. Yeah, no, they need the money. I'm the problem here. And oh, guys, <laughs> also, you know, Sir Tom Moore, who did the laps around his garden, that was you actually... to it. All, it was all Piers Morgan. That was Piers Morgan who spearheaded <laughs> that whole thing. He bigged him up. And you know what? I thought the fact that he was like, oh, I'm such good friends with Sir Tom is just such a desperate ploy for just some kind of likability. I found it very ironic that Piers mentions virtue signalling so often in this book Um, whilst simultaneously (laughs) doing it. Do you know what this book reminded me of? You know when you see on Facebook somebody's put a status, uh, bought a homeless guy a sandwich today? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Why the fuck are you telling us? Why did you do it? Did you do it to give someone a meal or did you do it for the Facebook credit? Because now I hate you. If you ever (laughs) buy a homeless person some food, wicked. That's a really nice thing to do. Don't fucking post it on Facebook. No, the, the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous part for me, the absolute height of his narcissism was when he was talking about the PM and Matt Hancock getting COVID. And with the most since like dripping with sincerity, his voice, he says, I was wondering who the designated survivor would be, you know, if Matt Hancock and the PM and Rishi Sunak got coronavirus. And um, one of my Twitter users said, well, of course, Piers, that's you. Oh, and it's the way he God. says it is genuinely like, 
<laughs> it would be me, wouldn't it? Would. it? <laughs> I, you know uh, what? I would get on I'm a boat so and leave. <laughs> like, I'm not being funny. I just can't. And the fact that as well, like, he angles the Meghan Markle thing with the Queen. Like, he's trying to do it to defend the Queen. Like, the Queen is fine, Piers. The Queen is fine. Do you know, know what I mean? he got through the reading of the audiobook Because his jaw must have ached so much from sucking his own dick <laughs> yeah. for the past year. <laughs> He's so, just the level, like, it was so monotone to listen to because it's just this slightly elevated, like, slightly angry, posh man. And literally nine hours, thank you. Having to spend basically the best part of my day listening to Piers Morgan, I just felt my mood shift. What I will say is, until you sort of made the point earlier, Christina, I did quite like that he turned on Trump but then I suppose the way that you look at it is also true it was probably more beneficial for him to turn on him but at the time I was thinking oh it's probably quite handy having a president in your pocket so that was actually quite a good thing to do but similarly to Trump you're right in that the writing style can often be quite childish he has this intro at the beginning and sort of goes wake up and does this intro thing <laughs> and he says how um, the president of Canada what's his name? Trudeau. Trudeau yeah yeah so he says how Trudeau said that we don't say mankind anymore we say person kind or whatever it is and he was kind of kicking off about that and he was like oh i suppose man is inhuman so what are we supposed to say now persons and it's like well okay people exist that's a word so maybe jump to that before you start making up new words and then he also says oh, imagine how shocked he's going to be when he figures out that man is in woman it's like okay but you oh know, and, and son is in person like you know this isn't about the entomology of the word though don't you you know this is <laughs> He's trying to use these things, these like petulant, bratty little justifications for his argument. And I think he genuinely does think that it's backing him up. And I actually think that it's boring as fuck to listen to after you get over the aggressive nature of it all in pure Piers Morgan style. It's actually so boring. But then I did think that this is actually quite useful because for anyone that is looking to debate with anyone with right wing views... (laughs) It's almost like a diary for the way that these arguments are structured. And so you can actually take from it. These are the kind of justifications that people use to make themselves not feel bad about having views that are obviously bigoted and xenophobic and all of those other things. If you can get someone down to have a conversation with them and you can get them to do so without getting too angry, it's quite easy to refute these arguments. The Trump stuff, I found it admirable to an extent because I thought, okay, he does really lay into him and calls him out rightly and says that his press briefings are childish and they all revolve around him and everything, which is ironic because that's exactly what this book is. But anyway, well, there we go. It's more that he claims to be a feminist, but then quite clearly says he's friends with Donald Trump. I thought, you are like every other bloke who says they're a feminist but then they have that one friend who will put their hand up a woman's skirt in a club and they go oh he only does it when he's drunk like we've and every single person I know has that one guy that they know who's a friend of a friend who has to come to the events and they just get a bit too touchy-feely and you have to just put up with it and Piers Morgan felt like that guy who was defending the friend saying oh well he just does it when he's drunk and oh you know he said grab him by the pussy and that was really bad but you know I know him and we talk all the time and stuff and then when he spearheads lack of COVID initiative that has killed over half a million Americans he's then like you know what I draw the line here (laughs) oh good okay it took that's where your limit is nice to know where the line is It's not that admirable when you think about it. Like, what would he have had to have done if that wasn't the line? Where would it have been? Would he have sort of been, would the gas chambers have come back? And then he'd be like, oh, you know, maybe that's not great. I I don't know. It just felt a bit like... (laughs) It's a big extreme. Start up the diary again. Yeah. It's it's just a big extreme to get to. And yeah, and I did, I did find that with him. And like, the thing with... I know Piers Frank. I'm just seeing his face in, in the hair and uh, I know. I don't know. I don't know if this is all right what we're saying. <laughs> I'm not sure it's fine, but if we uh, have you know to what? do a thumbnail for each episode, I'm going to Photoshop his face onto Anne Frank. Straight <laughs> yeah. up in black and white. Just in case anyone, you know, needs us clarifying. We think what happened to Anne Frank was bad. We know. <laughs> Awful. Horrendous. I'm like, like, genuinely... this justification out. I'm just leaving it in more. <laughs> <laughs> fuck <also> you guys 
Fuck you, wokies. <laughs> I I do think though that yeah, like to me it was very apparent that he was like, Oh, well, we've been really good friends. And then, you know, I stayed in touch with him even when, you know, all of this stuff came out. And then literally in the second breath, he's like, Oh, and then I got like four exclusive interviews and I was the only yeah. person to interview him in the UK. And I thought, how much money would you have earned off of that? They use people they're not friends with people they don't have friends because the world does revolve around them and so all the people that he's actually talked about with any kind of softness whatsoever other than his children was literally Sir Tom Caroline Flack and Trump and that's like well yeah but you've gained something out of each of those friendships even the other people like I think it, obviously he's mentions the porter in the in the hospital as well doesn't he and he also talks about is it Marcus Rushford yeah. yeah, you know, it makes him look good, doesn't it? It makes so. him look good. You, you know, you can argue everybody gains something from a friendship, but then you give something back as well. And, and in each exchange, I haven't seen other than media exposure, which is the only reason, frankly, I'm sure people would discuss it with him anyway. Every facet of his life is about gain for himself and about himself. And it's all ultimately about himself. His opinions are, are not backed up in any kind of fact he just seems to moan no. arbitrarily about things that he's seen on Twitter. And it's interesting to see how Twitter-centric he is. It seems like all of his ideas are based on like half-baked things that would look really good in only a few, like a couple of sentences, weaving in all of these little words and phrases he's made up about the left. But then none of it is substantially researched in a way that lends itself to a long-form written book. You get the idea from this book that he's not very happy. I don't, I don't think he's having a very fun life. One of the last things that I wrote is that he said, I have a dog with a bone personality. And he self-confessed on more than one occasion throughout the book that he's been a part of the problem that he's discussing so passionately. So he essentially dislikes himself that much. I just think that if his real goal was for everyone to find common purpose and to open up, you know, level-headed debate, then don't actively create discourse for your own personal gain. And yeah. you know what? I, I realised earlier when I was saying, like, oh, well, it's all about him, and it could be argued that, yeah, okay, it's, you know, a sort of angled partial biography. I've read many autobiographies, as I know that you both have, and with this, it was every single facet reverted back to him. It was never interesting stuff about him either. It was never like no. there were maybe a handful of moments when he was like, we were talking on my family WhatsApp. And that I really latched onto because I thought, how interesting that he has a family WhatsApp and they just debate on there. It gives you a real insight into their family that they must just love to debate and argue and have it out over things. But then he just moves on and is like, and here's this funny thing I did to own the libs on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's really fucking boring. Like your whole life just seems to revolve around Twitter. And you spend a lot of time saying how terrible social media is. And then the whole book just keeps going back to look at this awesome tweet I did. Look at this awesome thing I said on TV. Look at this great article I wrote for the Daily Mail. And I'm like, you're not talking about that time you woke up in the morning and you looked in the mirror and you thought, I don't know if I can do this during the pandemic or some really poignant moment in your life. It's always just to like hollow Twitter wins, you know, and to yeah. open up and to be a little bit vulnerable. But then again, he says yeah. how he doesn't think that should be a thing. So are we really surprised? I mean, it, what you said earlier about when he talks about his kids, even then you think, okay, here's a chance to see this man as a father, someone that's loved. And towards the end of the book, he says, my kid said to me, you've always taught us to be this way and that way, dad. And you've always been such a great dad. And thanks, dad, for the support. And it's like, you don't need to copy and paste your son's message into your book to to gain dad points. You know, have a, have that as a moment between the two mm, of you. Yeah, You don't need to be like, look what a great dad I am. This is and, what I mean. And mm. so, okay, I, I would love to talk briefly about some of these reviews on Goodreads in particular. There were some absolute gems. <laughs> <laughs> because they back up basically everything we've been saying. And there weren't that many reviews, again, compared to other more popular books that we've read. It was rated quite highly. But I guess if anyone's buying this book, they're like Piers Morgan. Do you know what I mean? Generally speaking, because uh, we never would have done this <laughs> if, it, if it weren't for the podcast. So this was Lacey Loves Cats, who rated it one star. Somebody actually bought me this for Christmas thinking I would enjoy it. I deleted them from my phone contacts the next day. A giant ego trip masquerading as insight. <laughs> and then 
Cy Griffiths put, this book from beginning to end is about Morgan making Morgan look good. It's a lie from the start to the end. I want compo for reading this. <laughs> I think Jen Bishop really summed it up well for me. A bit overindulgent. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most British review. <laughs> a bit overindulgent. I haven't got that in front of me. Was it like a three-star? Yeah. Was it? <laughs> slightly off point but do you remember that time that I told you about when I got into an Uber and the Uber driver literally screamed at me and swore at me and I was like so I gave him four stars and you want to see it <laughs> see Piers Morgan talks about the millennial generation and that was one of the most millennial things I've ever heard he literally threatened your life he threw your suitcase out he barely refused to take you on the journey and you were like you know what I feel bad because I only gave him four stars and it's his livelihood <laughs> Yeah, when we were getting takeaway at your house and like we had to send it back because it was like real chicken or whatever yeah, look I know this isn't your fault and I'm not angry but I just need you to <laughs> was so stressed picking up the phone I was like do you want me to do it you're like no I've got this hello I know you're probably having a really busy night and I'm sorry about this but... sorry for existing but I need you to come and give me the fake chicken that I asked for please <laughs> oh god well, I'm, I'm a serial five star. What can I say? I'm a fucking ray of sunshine. I'm no Piers Morgan, but I'm, no Piers Morgan. <laughs> I'm pr- pretty good guy. <laughs> pretty good guy. Well, Goodreads rated it 3.89 out of five. Amazon, it was 4.5 stars out of five. Wow. Um, I know. Me. The one thing I found kind of hilarious is that there were so many reviews, and I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but there were so many reviews complaining about the actual like state of the books when they turned up, and it's just got me wondering if there was some really like anti peers people in the packing <laughs> section of Amazon. Um, so my my book arrived with a turd in it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Literally, people were like, "The cover's ripped. It's just in such bad condition." And it was so many. It was Someone's more than... done a crude doodle of a cock going into his. <laughs> mouth on the cover <laughs> literally i can't even tell you how many of these reviews were out there especially when you got up to the two stars it was just full of them also the quality of the audiobook was really not very good it sounded like he had a lisp all the way through. does he have a lisp what well, the thing that i noticed is and it really bugged me he says words like sexual have you noticed i mean i think that's oh, just a yeah. i think that's maybe an upper class Thing. Oh, I it don't was know. really annoying. Everything that's got an all at the end, he says sexual. I mean, that's the only word that's coming <laughs> to my brain. <laughs> Probably something in that. But um, oh, sexual. Any, any word that sounds like that, he does like a little Stewie Griffin and it's really annoying. <laughs> don't tell Chris because he'll do it in bed just to annoy you. <laughs> when I get that feeling, I want a sex- sexual feeling. Sexual. <laughs> Before going into this, I really didn't know very much about the guy. I kind of didn't tend to engage with any of his content. So oh, what a I, time. Well, yeah, no, I really didn't. Like, I knew <laughs> I knew a kind of peripherally time. about him. And I thought that he was going to be really, really right wing. So I will say that I was pleasantly surprised when he sort of championed immigrants and he said that he thinks that the women leaders of the world have handled the pandemic a lot better than the male. And, you, you know, he said a lot of shit that I did agree with. I agree what he's, with what he said about especially when he was talking about the letter that all the authors did, it's really interesting that it's almost like Twitter is being used as a barometer for newspapers now to get a lot of content from. And a lot of market research comes from online views. And so you're getting companies that are being incredibly left wing and incredibly like picking up a lot of these terms, like woman with an X and all of that, when actually a lot of the lay people and your average person would have no idea what that is. And suddenly you see these big brands using these very leftist terms. And you're like, where has that come from? Oh, it's a Twitter thing. But I think the letter he talked about with the authors when they're saying that basically creativity is being sanitized and stifled a lot more over the last 10 years because people are frightened of being deplatformed and frightened of saying the wrong thing. And I think that that is actually quite a big problem. Yeah, and I don't actually want us to do that here either. And so I'm glad we're talking about these topics as well, because as much as we've all been a bit nervous to discuss some of this stuff, I actually do think it's important. It's what I crave, you know, at time when I go to art or any kind of medium like this, I want something that's honest. And I think that that's something that is lacking a bit now because people are afraid to be honest. Mm. I do also fundamentally disagree with this thing that seems to be happening recently where 
the public will pick on someone and they will go so far into their history to try to drag up dirt on them. And I feel fairly confident in saying that pretty much anyone was a fucking idiot when they were a teenager. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, I'm sure I've offended a bunch of teenagers, but <laughs> you, I'm sorry, you, you will get smarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're learning who you are. Like you, you shouldn't be expected that teenagers have everything figured out. Facebook loves to do a, on this day, I, I can know, tell I'm you so I, was cringe, when I was a teenager. I can tell you some of the shit I posted. I was like, oh, tiny Sid, no, 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 sweetie. <laughs> I know. Like nothing hateful or anything like that, but just shit like, new diet today, apples a week, winky face. Like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be doing that. You're so ridiculous um and i do find it really uncomfortable i mean i don't know if you guys are familiar with a content creator called Lindsay ellis no no. she's one of a favorite of mine and she was recently cancelled and i'm not going to go into it here but i really recommend that you look into it for yourselves because it really illustrates how unhealthy and really dangerous cancel culture is because we are cancelling people that are on our side effectively and we are going after the wrong people we're not going after the people that are actually spreading hate that was the last point i've got in my little agree column here that i do think that this uh, shutting down of platforms etc is a real problem some people if they say something or do something fundamentally immoral then they deserve to be ostracized you know arguably if they've got a massive platform then you need to be accountable but at the same time to me like I'm really averse to like anybody mass ganging up on someone like I know we ripped the crap out of Pierce tonight but I'm not being funny he puts himself out there he openly says that it doesn't bother him I believe to an extent it doesn't and he wouldn't have been able to sustain a career based around what he's done if he wasn't toughened up stuff like that in that way but I think ironically that would have been a really good point to put into the book rather than oh you know I don't understand why I can't be tough and be celebrated for being tough like I don't want to cry every day no one's asking you to cry every day but I think it would have been really interesting for you to put in the book your perspective on this constant negative attention you're getting because it's got to be it's got to get to you sometimes no matter who you are yeah and he did say that like with Caroline Flack it got to him and it was the moment in the book where I did sort of soften towards him slightly more there are people that they know they're going to get a barrage of abuse. And, you know, and he said that he's was expecting it nine times out of 10, and then he gets exactly what he's expecting. For me, it's always like, is this person fundamentally immoral or not about some core things that really matter to me and that should matter to everyone as human beings that have compassion for their fellow man? I think intent's important as well because people make mistakes. What was the intent behind the content? That's what I was trying to get at. It's like, you know, are you going to deliberately be spewing hate for the sake of actually creating discourse to create views, to create, you know, extreme content that's going to get more views, that's going to get you more money, which I think is the intent behind peers personally. For someone who's so openly actually quite liberal about certain views, that's got to be it, right? It's got to be a business decision. We've all torn apart Piers' book, but I don't think any of us have said anything that is, you know, we're not saying he should go and kill himself. We're not saying anything like that. I'm not saying that I could almost hear his jowls jiggling with joy and <laughs> over the, uh, you know, no one's saying that. She wanted to say it, but she didn't. I wanted <laughs> to say it, but I didn't. Um, no, but I feel like we had a respectful kind of tearing apart. I mean... Yeah, sure. We're going to put his face on Anne Frank, but other than that, except okay, for his face well, on Anne Frank. While we're here, he looks like the bird lady from Home Alone. <laughs> he does look like the bird lady. Surely he must have heard that. Surely he must have heard about this before. Now my debate said... is as childish as his. <laughs> yeah. Piers, we've reduced ourselves to your level. Quickly, very quickly, because I think we have really laboured the point. But going back to what we were talking about before, (laughs) I think that when someone makes a mistake, when someone says something insensitive, which I'm sure I have, I said on the very first episode, just in case this does take off, bunch of porn out there. You can find it really easily. Yeah, so (laughs) So, much porn. Anything else? Like maybe if I've said something stupid or something like that, I I am just one person. But I think that when there's these people that are are very well known. So like Jenna Marbles is a really good example. She's been cancelled. Um, and she was one of the most popular YouTube channels of all time. Why and I did think she get cancelled? She got cancelled because she did a rap video. A bar of the rap was disrespectful towards Chinese people. And then she also did a, a Nicki Minaj impression where she had had a spray tan that morning and people thought she was doing blackface. So it got legs 
and turn into a thing. And so she did a video apologizing, but she's been cancelled. Uh, this was very early on in the pandemic because I was a massive Jenna Marbles fan. And it's such a shame because I think if people had come to her and said, I think you've made a mistake there and I think maybe you should uh, learn from it and not do it again. She was the kind of person or is the kind of person I should say who I think would have really taken that on board. But I think because of the sheer amount of hate and vitriol she got, it just was better for her to step away from the internet full stop, which is her choice and her prerogative. But I think if you genuinely care about a cause and you think that someone's done something insensitive or thoughtless, if you come to them and you say, look, maybe don't do that again, nine times out of 10, I'm sure they'll go, oh, you're so right. I'm really embarrassed about that. And then a lesson is learn yeah yeah and I think that you know what that's been such a huge part of my life too like so I lived in a couple of different countries and at quite tender ages and so I've said stupid things I put my foot in my mouth I've been culturally indifferent because I just didn't know any better and people have been very compassionate that I met that have taught me and some less so which is fair enough that's their prerogative but have turned around and said like this isn't how we do this here you shouldn't be saying things like that I've just gone oh thank you and you correct yourself and you learn and you move on and then now you know I look back and I cringe but you know, if that's how you learn. That's how yeah. you learn. I actually think that there's a danger of people if they get too worried about making those mistakes and owning those mistakes, then they're never going to actually learn. I also think there's a possibility of people being scared off to the right. I think that if you hold some views or if you've maybe made a mistake and said something stupid, but you've grown up and then you're, you find yourself getting really attacked and really beaten down by the left you may find yourself thinking, shit, maybe I'm not as left wing as I thought I was because I don't understand these people and these people are really coming for me. And you might look for an alternative. I mean, I like to think that if you're very steady in your beliefs, you're not going to change those. But a lot of people we, aren't. Well, a lot of people aren't. And also we, our peers are very important to us. You know, we are pack animals. So if yeah. you find that your pack's rejecting you, maybe if you don't even really believe the opinions of the other side, you might defect. It's important to read books by people that we don't necessarily like because we've all agreed we've learned a little bit more about these types of perspectives because people do flock to them. People have been flocking to them. There's a reason he's extremely popular. It is a strategy. There's no doubt about it. I think that's quite clear from reading the book. But there's a reason it's working. And I think that actually that is stuff we need to examine because that's how you can make changes. That's how you people make political changes. We live in an age of a lot of propaganda, a lot of advertising, being aware of the type of language that's being used around you all the time and how that's having impact on you and your decisions and how you feel about certain groups of people is extremely important. So I suppose we have to give him a rating, don't we? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Um, I find anything that isn't a novel kind of hard to rate because it's like, what do you base it on? Do you base it on the content? Do you base it on the writing style? I'm going to give it a 1.5. What is the decimal places? I know that I love that we've come to this. Like, I rated it a 2 out of 5 just for the pure content factor for this podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I literally would never have read it if I didn't know it was going to be something we all had really strong views on. I could have lived my entire life having never read it, I'll be completely honest. But just for pure personal gain, in the spirit of Piers Morgan, in a way, um, I feel that <laughs> two out of five is my rating. If we could rep this podcast in the same way that he reps himself we'd be so famous can you imagine yeah. i think we need to i think actually that's where we've been going wrong <laughs> what about you emma i think i'm in the same boat as you when i started this conversation i thought it's a i can't give you a zero so i have to give you a one but actually i'd give him a two just for the pure joy it's brought us to review yeah. this book <laughs> <laughs> the comedy gold that has transpired <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was it was genuinely like one of the worst books I've ever read. But it, yeah, it has at least sparked good conversations. I actually, I'm sorry I put us all through it. I really am. Like, it was not an enjoyable read. Don't be sorry, because like you say, <laughs> it is important that we look at other people's point of views. And this was certainly that. It was certainly that. I'm looking forward to something a little lighter for the next episode. Mm. <laughs> we need some, something sexy, I think. Are we going to go... Oh 
I know. I want some, some sex, sexual. That was my sexual noise. <laughs> <laughs> That's what um, I do when I'm having sex. Those are yeah. the noises I make. I go. <laughs> <laughs> if it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Go find that porn, Internet Sleuth. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dad. <laughs> oh, no. oh, your parents are listening. Oh, uh, no, you know what? I'm going to tell him not to listen to certain episodes. <laughs> like, you can listen to this one. You can listen to this one. Don't, for the love of God. Christina and Emma's parents have known me since I was an actual child. This is going to be so upsetting. <laughs> We've all been friends since we were in primary school. So this is like... This Hi is guys! Far, far too much information. Although my mum is is a raging hippie, so she will not give two fucks. But no, I was say, your mum won't care. Fuck. Jen, Jen loves everyone regardless. She's very yeah. Oh, lovely. Jenny is is the ultimate queen. And yeah, my mother um is an astrologer and drags me to psychic fairs and is just generally an all around like chilled out person. So in that regard, she will not give two fucks. But um, hi mum. But um, yeah. <laughs> So next time, yeah, the new Fifty Shades, the oh. new E.L. James. What's it called? Because I'm not being funny. My local charity, whenever I go in there, there's a, like a Fifty Shades section where there's oh, about God, six would... of each book. So I might just grab it. What's With... it called? Would you really want someone else's secondhand copy of that particular book? Do you want them to know that they've like held it and then I wanked with think it? Anyone actually masturbates to it? Do they? They probably do. I'm just. Do they masturbate? Housewives be horny or something. Oh, I don't. I don't, I don't mind a bit of housewife staff. So the newest one is called Freed. Fifty Shades Freed, as Wait. told by Christian. Oh, as told by Christian. I was going to say, isn't Freed the third one? That was yeah. So there's Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Freed. Then there's Grey, Fifty Shades of Grey, as told by Christian. Darker, Fifty Shades Darker, as told by Christian and Freed. But Freed is the 2021 book. All right. Is everybody knackered and ready to go to sleep now? Oh, yes. Chris and I are about to watch a really weird horror film that I watched years ago, and we're going to revisit. Oh, which one's that? It's called Tidelands. Okay. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's bizarre. (laughs) Would you recommend? Oh, I don't know. It depends if you, you like Lynch. Oh, he did like we, a razorhead, blue velvet, uh, um, Twin Peaks. We had this conversation, I think, when I was at yours and we were both really hungover. And I was like, oh, I think so. But you don't like him. Is that right? I, I struggle. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very kind of like surrealist horror. Um, yeah. I'll tell you what, late and after tonight, I remember just as a teenager kind of like afterwards feeling a bit weird and having to put something normal and nice on. <laughs> Which is probably the point, but still, yeah. I mean, it'll be all right because uh, <laughs> over Halloween, Chris was like, okay, it's time for us to watch Martyrs. And I was like, oh, I'm literally going to be scarred. Oh, God. And then, I mean, it was rough, but I actually enjoyed it, which I was not expecting. I don't even know what that is either. I'm going to have so much to Google. If you do watch Martyrs, just be careful because fuck me. Maybe can I watch it like with you one time? <laughs> I mean, it's really not, like, fun. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'll watch it with you. I'll give you cuddles. But it's not a fun film. It's pretty fucking scarring. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's coming from... You. Uh, what, yeah, it's it's a lot. Well, it's like... it's sleep for months. Well, yeah, it's revered as one of the most horrific horror films of all time. It's French Extremity. Oh, right. Um, and it's... Woof. It is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Makes you question life. Okay. Oh, good God, yeah. No, I'm going to go watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> <laughs> and then go to bed. <laughs> Sorry, just quickly. Um, oh. if, if you guys were thinking about getting me a birthday card this year, I would like Piers Morgan's face on uh, Anne Frank. <laughs> good night. Oh, I will make this happen. <laughs> So what are your thoughts? We want to hear from you. Leave a comment or tag us through Instagram at bookmarksandbooze or email us at bookmarksandbooze at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more books, booze and brutal book reviews. Bye.